You're listening to Simply the Best Sports Take, the best podcast breaking down the best stuff in sports with host Sean Bingham. His takes are so good, he dropped the mic, but then you wouldn't be able to hear him, and that would suck. Welcome into STB Sports Take, Simply the Best Sports Podcast. I am your host, Sean Bingham. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. We're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, Anchor, everywhere you get your podcasts. Please subscribe. Thank you for being here. Please hit that subscribe button. You guys are awesome. As usual, please check the description, whatever platform you're on. You can see the exact timing at which I hit different segments. You guys can skip ahead, skip back, get the content you want. Awesome show lined up today. Talking a lot of Utah Jazz, obviously Dwayne Wade. I did my initial reactions on Friday from a rental car in Corona Del Mar, California. Had to give those initial reactions. Dwayne Wade, part owner of the Utah Jazz. Going to get deeper into that. Also going to talk some KD, the drama that be, that is surrounding him at all times. He's injured again. He's dissing Russ Westbrook. We'll get into that. Um, we're also going to get into the Jake Paul fight. But first, first we have to talk about Ben Simmons. We're going to talk Utah Jazz. We're going to go to KD. Then we're going to come back to the Utah Jazz. So Ben Simmons, I've been uh, you know saying for a while now, pretty much the entire season, that the thought of anyone other than Rudy Gobert being Defensive Player of the Year is truly and sincerely, in my opinion, laughable. The reason is that nobody has the impact. That's the word I've been using over and over again. You can go check my previous podcasts. Nobody has the impact on the defensive end of the floor that Rudy Gobert has. Nobody. It's not even close. And I don't care if it's just because he's seven feet tall. I don't care if it's because he's got really long arms. In the end, we go off of results, and Rudy Gobert's results are better than everybody else's. It's just plain and simple. So I don't care if Ben Simmons can guard a wider variety of players. I don't care about any of that stuff. I just care about the overall defensive impact a player has, and that's who should win Defensive Player of the Year. I've said this over and over and over again this season. Well, it was just released, this uh, this fantastic little graph, and I'll put it on the screen for those uh, on YouTube, but it's uh, for those listening, it's the 2021 uh, defensive impact graph of NBA players. Who's having the greatest defensive impact? And there's like this huge cluster building, you know, from the bottom, working its way up, working its way up, and it's just player after player just stacked on top of each other. It's really close, just, you know, tons of guys just close neck and neck as they work their way up the graph. Um, and then there's this massive gap at the top. And then there's one guy sitting alone at the top of the graph. And who is it? It's Rudy freaking Gobert. Because he is having the greatest impact defensively by a long shot of any player in the NBA this season, which is what I've been saying. So if Rudy Gobert does not win his third defensive player of the year award this season, it is an absolute crime. It is highway robbery. Ben Simmons, to his credit, is decently high on the list. He's like about a fourth of the way down. There are several players ahead of him. Miles Turner is the one below Rudy Gobert, but there's a gargantuan gap from Rudy Gobert to the number two player. And from number two down to like number 100 is about the same gap as Rudy Gobert to number two. I mean, that that's how much of an impact he's having. So this talk about Ben Simmons being Defensive Player of the Year is truly a joke. It's Rudy Gobert. Please, everyone who has a vote, do the right thing. Don't try and be different. Don't try and be cool and unique and give it to Ben Simmons because he can somehow guard a three and a one. It's like, who the heck cares? What is the overall impact a player has on the defensive side of the of the court? Rudy Gobert, number one, by far. Okay, I'm going to move now to Kevin Durant, and then we'll come back to the Utah Jazz, Dwayne Wade, all that stuff. Kevin Durant yesterday gets hurt again. He plays four minutes against the Miami Heat and kind of 
gets banged up going into the hoop, going into the lane. Uh, Trevor Ariza and him kind of knocked knees, but luckily it wasn't quite that. It was basically Trevor Ariza's knee into KD's thigh. So he leaves with a thigh contusion. I've been trying to check, uh, you know, live here as we're talking, actually, um, if there's any updates on the injury. There has not been yet. I think it's just that, a contusion, which is just a fancy scientific word for a bruise. Uh, so the guy got a dead leg. Um, we've all had that before. You've all had your your friend or your brother punch you in the arm or the leg, and, it, you know, that's pretty much what he got, okay? Um, they're being extremely cautious, the Nets are. And here's my thoughts on it. KD is not very durable. That should be a concern. The Brooklyn Nets are paying him a, a king's ransom to play like a fifth of the game since he got there because he sat out an entire season and he's played half of the games this season. But I wouldn't be too worried because they're being extremely cautious. James Harden is already out. And I've said for a while they need to be healthy and they need to get some team chemistry. With Harden still out for a little bit longer, I think they just they need to get KD back with James Harden. They need to get another 15 games. They've had seven together. They need to get another 10 to 15 games all together with, with the three of them, with Kyrie and KD and James Harden in real minutes, real basketball. They need to surpass the 20-game mark together before the playoffs. Otherwise, they will be last year's Clippers. That's what I've said for a while now. So with James Harden out, I think it's fine if KD misses one or two games with this bruise if he's that soft. Um, I, and I don't mean to hate, I'm not hating. I think KD is arguably the greatest player in the league. He's just, he's just always hurt. He's not playing. It's hard to be the greatest player when you don't play. Um, but I would not be too, too worried if in the nets, I don't think it's anything serious at all. I think they're just taking extreme caution. Uh, he was three for three with eight points in four minutes. I mean, that's, that's how good this guy is. He was three for three with eight points, including two for two, uh, from three point land. He did miss both of his free throws after getting injured, going into the lane. He shot two free throws, missed them both ends up leaving the game after four minutes. I wouldn't freak out if you're a Nets fan. I do think they need to get healthy and they need to get chemistry and there's still a little bit of time to do that, but emphasis on little, they better move quickly. They better get hardened back. They better get KD back. Kyrie better stop taking paid time off and they better actually play all together at least another 10, 15 games before the playoffs. And I don't even know how many they have left. I think they have about 15 games left. So they better move quick. They better move quick because I'd like to see them surpass that 20-game mark altogether. Okay, another thing with KD, and then we'll get into the Jazz and D-Wade. Uh, there was a podcast Kevin Durant was on. This guy's got all sorts of time to do stuff other than basketball because he's always hurt. So he's on a podcast, and I'd love to have you on the, this podcast, KD, so just let me know when you want to be on. I'll shoot you a DM. I'm sure you'll reply. Um, but, uh, oh, by the way, with that game, I should mention, uh, they end up losing. I, I need to make some quick points about this game before I move into the Kevin Durant-Russell Westbrook thing. Um, they lose that game in overtime, or on a buzzer beater, rather. They lose the game by, on a buzzer beater by Bam, Bam Adebayo. And so no, no James Harden, no Kevin Durant for the vast majority of the game. Kyrie Irving plays, does not play super great. They lose. What else have I been saying? Kyrie Irving is just not that guy. He's not that guy. If James Harden was there by himself, I think they win that game. If Kevin Durant was there by himself without the other two stars, I think they win that game. When it's Kyrie Irving, I don't think they win that game. And they didn't. Uh, Landry Shamet is a guy I've been touting as like, he is someone that should be looked at more closely. He's a guy that can really make some noise. He can score. I think he's a hooper and he went off for 30. It was kind of a career night for him. Played fantastic. I'd like to see him get more and more minutes for the Nets. I think he's a real weapon, but anyway, the, the Nets lose the game. So wanted to make those quick points. Okay. Now back to Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant. 
KD's on this podcast and he's shooting the breeze with some guys about you know the greatest players he's ever played with, and he immediately launches into you know the guys he currently is teammates with, Kyrie and James Harden. He says them in that order. Um, then he says Steph, then he says Clay, and then he gets kind of hung up. Well, you know what? Here it is. Take a listen. Top five players you ever played with? Um, Kyrie. Mm. James. Who? James. James. Mm-hmm. Harden. Steph. Steph. Clay. Clay. And I'm gonna go. <clears throat> I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go. Serge Ibaka. <clears throat> Damn. Damn. Yeah, I thought somebody else was going to go into that I'm from just, LA. But that's so I'm story. just. All right. So I forgot somebody. Yeah, you. For, to me, I thought you was going to say. I ain't even going. Okay. So later on in the podcast, shortly after this, actually, shortly after that comment, he's called out by the host, and it's like, uh, dude, you didn't say Russell Westbrook. What? Like, how? Do, how can you not have Russell Westbrook on your top five? And KD immediately like backtracks. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm tripping. Like, yeah, Russ would be on there. And then he actually puts Russell Westbrook fourth ahead of Clay, kicks Sergi Baca off, of course, the list. And it, uh, and it, so then it goes, essentially, he's saying, if he's saying that now Russ is fourth and Clay is fifth, we can safely assume that he's saying that Kyrie is the best, James Harden second best, Steph, Russ, and then Clay. But a couple thoughts with this. One, Serge Ibaka, really? Serge Ibaka was the first name that came to mind. He was on the Thunder. Like, I was trying to give KD a pass a little bit and thinking, oh, you know, he's just thinking, like, right now, because you got to say your current teammates. And then he's thinking when he won titles, and it's, like, clearly Clay and Steph. And then he kind of got hung up. And, you know, I was thinking maybe he was just focused on his title teams and his current team. But then I thought, no. Like, Serge Ibaka was on the Thunder with him. James Harden was on the Thunder with him. And he mentioned them. I mean, obviously, James Harden's with him now in the Nets, but and he didn't mention Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook has won an MVP. Russell Westbrook has averaged a triple-double for three seasons. This will be his fourth. Russell Westbrook went to the NBA Finals with Kevin Durant. Russell Westbrook went to a Game 7 in the Western Conference Finals against the 73-9 and Warriors with Kevin Durant. Russell Westbrook is clearly one of the five best players that Kevin Durant has ever played with, and somehow he slipped his mind, and Serge Ibaka didn't. So Serge Ibaka is high on Kevin Durant's mind. Apparently, that's his sixth best player he's ever played with, which also isn't true. Um, but he said Serge Ibaka. So clearly, there's. I think it was on purpose. I think there's a little beef there still, obviously, between the two. I don't know if he's trying to get at Russ or what he's doing. But that was very, very interesting. Then I'm thinking, is this really his order? Because to me, the order is very clearly Steph is the greatest player that Kevin Durant has ever played with. And then I would say you got to give it to James Harden. And I, I wouldn't have said that five weeks ago, but I would now. Then I think Russ comes in third, then Clay, and I actually would put Kyrie as the fifth best. I really would. And they're all fantastic players. Are you kidding me? But I would put uh, Kyrie as the fifth best. I think Clay Thompson is one of the most underrated superstars in the NBA. He's a guy I would love to see come to the Utah Jazz. He can defend. He can shoot the three. He doesn't need the ball to score. The guy scored like 60 points with 11 dribbles, whatever that stat was. He moves without the ball. He's unselfish. He is zero problems off the court. He's an ultimate team player, um, score like none other, sharpshooter, plays tremendous defense. Guy is phenomenal. To me, he's definitely a better player uh, than Kyrie Irving. 
So I would go Steph, Harden, Russ, probably third, Clay fourth, and then I'd put uh, Kyrie fifth. But interesting little drama, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, maybe they you know have a little little beef again. Speaking of Russell Westbrook, by the way, Wizards won again the other night. Russell Westbrook had another triple-double. The guy's a walking triple-double. They are now tied for 10th in the Eastern Conference. You'd have to go back a ways, but I've said throughout the season on the podcast that to me, the Wizards are underachieving. To have guys like Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook on the same team in the Eastern Conference and not even make the playoffs would be a shame. It was something I didn't think would happen. And for a while there, it looked grim, like they weren't going to make the playoffs. Now, all of a sudden, they're tied for 10th, which means they'd be in a play-in game and have a real shot at the playoffs. So keep an eye on those Washington Wizards. Um I'm not a big Wizards fan by any means. I just want my prediction to be right. I would love to see the Wizards sneak into the playoffs here. Uh, and, and they just might. They just might. So keep an eye on that. Okay, so now into the to, to the D-Wade, Utah Jazz. Beautiful story that we've got going. Dwayne Wade's one of my favorite players of all time. The Jazz are my favorite team in the NBA. So this is awesome for me, okay? Dwayne Wade, in my opinion, and I've said this also on the podcast years ago, um, that he is the third greatest shooting guard of all time behind, of course, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. I would put Dwayne Wade right there at number three of all time. The guy is a three-time NBA champ. He's an NBA Finals MVP. He's a scoring champ. Uh, he's he's a phenomenal defender. The guy is just an all-time great player, an all-time class act. He's entertaining. He's charismatic. There's just a lot to like about Dwayne Wade, okay? So I'm a little bit biased. Uh, I'm a huge Dwayne Wade fan. I'm a huge Utah, Utah Jazz fan. But that being said, this is still a huge deal for the Utah Jazz. That was my initial reaction. This is a humongous deal. I've said for a while that the window for the Utah Jazz to win a title is right now. And in sports, you've, you've just got these windows of a few years. You get the right things lined up. You've got a great coach. You've got some, some superstar talent in their prime. And it's like, okay, the window is right now. We need to surround these guys with the right pieces and compete for a title. And that's where the Utah Jazz are at. And so bringing Dwayne Wade in to me is a big deal because I think he can help fix this this uh, this false narrative that Utah is not cool. Uh, and I think back to the to the All Star game, right? The NBA All Star game. Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell are both named All Stars, but they're not named starters. So they go into the draft. They don't get drafted as starters because they weren't named starters. So now we get into the secondary draft, right? Kind of the second round of the bench players, and Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert of the league-leading Utah Jazz go second to last and dead last in the draft. And then Kevin Durant and LeBron James can go on to make jokes about how Utah's not cool. And, you know, when I was a kid growing up playing video games, like, we didn't run with Utah, you know, I'm not with Utah. And I'm telling you right now, those jokes do not get made, and those guys do not go dead last if Dwayne Wade was a part owner of the Jazz a few months ago. Mark my words, if Dwayne Wade had made this purchase two, three months ago before the All-Star break, those jokes are not made and those guys do not go dead last. That's the kind of impact he'll have. It's it, because Dwayne Wade is cool. Dwayne Wade is very cool. And I know that's like sounds so childish and lame, but it does matter. Perception is a huge deal. And Dwayne Wade overnight changes the perception of the Utah Jazz. He's a cool guy. He's a hip guy. He's a respected guy. He's a beloved guy. He's an NBA champion and all-star and Hall of Famer. And he just pinned his star to the Utah Jazz wagon. 
And so why would other guys not follow suit? And so a couple of people after I launched that podcast commented or DM'd me or texted me and said, well, what about Shaq? Shaq's part owner of the Kings. What impact has he made? Or Grant Hill, he's part owner of the Hawks. What impact has he made? Or Michael Jordan, he's owner of the Hornets. What impact has he made? Okay, I'm going to go through each one of these one by one, okay? Shaq and Grant Hill, uh, guess who even knew that those guys were part owners of teams? Like, close to nobody. Why? Because they're not Dwayne Wade. Grant Hill is not Dwayne Wade. Get out of here with the Grant Hill comparison, okay? Like, Grant Hill is a great player. He's a Hall of Famer. But Grant Hill? We're going to compare Grant Hill and Dwayne Wade? Like, no. Not not in their ability to play basketball and certainly not in their superstardom and in their overall just aura, right? Shaquille O'Neal, same thing. Same thing. Shaq went to Miami as a player. D-Wade, they win a title together, but D-Wade's the finals MVP. And I'll still remember to this day, I'll never forget... Shaq was used to being the man in L.A. with Kobe, and he won three championships, and he was finals MVP of all three. Gets to Miami, and D-Wade steals the show. D-Wade's clearly MVP, and Shaq had to like almost take the trophy from D-Wade, the MVP trophy, and like hold it up with him. You know, like Not like he was taking it from him, but like he was, I'm going to give this to you. Like, oh, I, I need to be in the spotlight, and this is, I'm going to give it to you because you're the man. But it was kind of like he needed to be in the spotlight, and it was just obvious. Like D Wade's the D Wade's the bigger guy here. He's just the bigger, better player. Um, it's 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 Wade County, right? Like D Wade just owns Miami, and he's just a bigger, better star. Okay, so instantly those are the things that come to mind. Like Shaq is not in D Wade's realm when it comes to stardom, when it comes to charisma, when it comes to respectability, when it comes to just that cool factor, just go look on social media and you can see this, okay? Um, and Grant Hill's not even in the in the ballpark of either one of those guys. Then you get to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's clearly above Dwayne Wade in his overall superstardom, but Michael Jordan's the primary owner of the Charlotte Hornets. He's not a secondary one. He's not a, he's not a, you know, a, a minority owner. He's the primary owner. So then more decisions go into his place and he's not a phenomenal businessman. Um, and I don't know that Shaq and Grant Hill, I don't know what kind of impact they even have on the teams. I don't know what kind of businessmen they are. But Ryan Smith, the owner of the Utah Jazz, is a wizard businessman. The guy is a genius. This move to bring in Dwayne Wade is absolutely genius, okay? Um, and Michael Jordan's making those decisions in Charlotte. And so if there are problems in Charlotte, it's because Michael Jordan is a fantastic basketball player, not necessarily the best businessman. Okay. So that's the huge difference there. On top of that, the Utah Jazz are one of the winningest franchises in NBA history. People act like the Hornets and the Kings and the Hawks are in the same realm as the Utah Jazz. It's not even close. And that's not because I'm a Jazz fan. The Utah Jazz are the fourth winningest franchise in NBA history behind only the Spurs, Lakers, and Celtics. That's the list. Spurs, Lakers, Celtics, Jazz. That's the list for NBA most winning franchises of all time. The Jazz just don't have a ring. And I think that's what D-Wade wants to help bring here is a ring. The guy is a winner. The guy is a champion. He sees that Ryan Smith is a winner and a champion. He sees how close the Jazz have been for decades and how close they are right now as the league-leading team in the entire NBA. And he says, you know what? I can help bring in some pieces that can make them champions finally. And I think that's what he's going to do within the next four seasons. Within the next four seasons, I think the Utah Jazz will be NBA champs. Okay, so um, there's a couple things with this uh, that were mentioned in as to why he came to the Utah Jazz. Woj reported it. Uh, he's obviously the the go-to guy in the, for NBA talk. 
there was talk of he wants to be actively involved in the region, not just with the team, but in the region. Well, what's going on here in Utah is called Silicon Slopes. It's like Silicon Valley, uh, you know, in the Bay Area. Silicon Slopes, we've got the mountains here. And there are multi-million and even billion dollar companies, tech companies, all throughout Utah now. Uh, just right here near my house, actually. And I think, and Qualtrics, Ryan Smith's company, Qualtrics, is obviously one of those uh, multi-billion dollar company that he's created and built over the years. And I think D. Wade sees that and wants to be heavily involved as an investor um, and things like that. And so I think he sees massive opportunity in in Utah. And I think he sees massive opportunity with the Jazz. I think he sees massive opportunity with Ryan Smith as a mentor. And that's why he's here. And so to me, this is just an absolute match made in heaven. And really interesting thing I mentioned uh, in my initial reactions podcast on Friday that uh, there were heavy ties between Utah and the, the, the church that dominates here, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, and Stance Socks, and then Stance Socks and Dwayne Wade. And I thought there could be a connection because Ryan Smith is also part of that. And I thought there could be a connection between Stance Socks working with members of this church in this community and this deal with Dwayne Wade and Ryan Smith. Well, guess what? Dwayne Wade puts up a post on Instagram. He's so stoked about being in Utah. And by the way, I love the caption. I'm going to read it here. If people are doubting how far you can go, go so far that you can't hear them anymore. Second act activated at Utah Jazz with a little handshaking emoji. Love that. You go, you scroll through the pictures here. It's him and Ryan Smith. It's him and Ryan Smith. It's him just courtside watching the game. Him getting introduced again. Him with Mike Conley. So he's with players. Him with Jordan Clarkson with players. Him with Ryan Smith on the court holding up a jersey. Then it's him with this random guy and Ryan Smith. So, so far, everyone that we've seen is a player or it's just Dwayne Wade or it's the owner, Ryan Smith. Then all of a sudden, you've got this one picture of Ryan Smith, D. Wade, and another just random dude, right? Well, this is not a random dude. This is Clark Miyasaki, also a genius, also a wizard, also a fantastic businessman, also part of the church community, also part of Stance Socks. So I'm not always right, but I usually am. And I'm telling you right now, this picture is proof to me that that connection played a huge role in Dwayne Wade choosing the Utah Jazz as the team that he wanted to purchase a chunk of the team. Clark Miyasaki is the, the chief growth officer at Stan Sox. He's been there, I think, from the very beginning, uh, which is eight years or something like that. Played a huge role in the growth of Stan Sox, which is my favorite sock company by far. And Dwayne Wade's part of Stance Socks, and look who made the picture. Why? I mean, Clark Miyasaki, Ryan Smith, Dwayne Wade. Nobody else made pictures. I don't see any other random guy in the pictures with the two owners. I see Dwayne Wade with Ryan Smith one-on-one. I see Dwayne Wade with players one-on-one. I see Dwayne Wade by himself in these pictures. And then there's just the random, random guy holding the basketball between the two owners. No, that's Clark Miyasaki. That's the guy that could have bridged the gap. I'm telling you, this, all, this stuff's all connected. It's a big deal. And I like it because that was my hunch, and I feel like it was validated hours after I launched that podcast when Dwayne Wade went to the game and then posted that later that night. So very cool, interesting stuff. Um, but the Utah Jazz, again, fourth winningest franchise of all time. Look what Jerry West did to, you know, the, and, you know, I'm not saying Dwayne Wade's the gen- general manager. He's not the owner. Obviously, he's a minority owner. I don't know how much he owns, but I would bet that it's less than 5%. Um, 
but his image, his his aura, his his influence here, his just his presence makes a huge deal. Look how much it's being, it's being talked about. Look how much it's being talked about. Nobody talked about when Shaq bought the part of the Kings. I didn't even know that until recently. Nobody talked about when Grant Hill bought part of the Hawks. Nobody cared anyway. People talked about Michael Jordan, but he again, he's the main owner, right? This is a big deal because everybody's talking about it. Everybody loves Dwayne Wade. Everyone's rallying around him. He's super stoked. He wants to make it a big deal, make an impact. And I look at what Jerry West did. Jerry West goes and joins the Lakers. I'm telling you, from the top down, ownership down to through GM, down to coach, down to players, down to training staff, it all matters to create a, a winning franchise, to create a champion. And I look at what Jerry West did with the Lakers. He went and got Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal. He was the, he was the guy that went and got Shaquille O'Neal in free agency from the Orlando Magic. That was Jerry West. Turns them instantly back into champions. They three-peat. He moves on to the Grizzlies, okay? The Memphis Grizzlies. He wanted to show that he could turn somebody from not a winner to a winner because Lakers had proven to be winners previously, although they hadn't been prior to him coming. They had had a dry spell for quite some time from the Magic, you know, kind of that whole Lake Show era um, to to when they got Kobe and Shaq. So he goes to the, the Grizzlies, hires Larry Brown as the coach, ends up getting GM of the year. Larry Brown gets coach of the year. The Grizzlies make the playoffs. They turn from like this joke of a franchise into a playoff team. And he's there for several seasons, leaves. They instantly become sucky again. Like the Grizzlies have sucked ever since he left. Okay. So he went and made a huge impact on the spot with the Grizzlies, made them a playoff team, a real contender in the NBA, not necessarily a title contender, but a real team. He leaves. They go back to being not so great. Then he goes to the Warriors. Warriors were not exactly, you know, winning titles until recently, right? Like they hadn't done anything of note really ever you know, in my lifetime. I mean, you'd have to go back to like freaking Wilt Chamberlain type days, right? But he goes and he gets all the right pieces in place. They go on and create a dynasty where they go to five straight finals, winning three of them. That's all Jerry West. Then he goes to the Clippers, instantly gets, and Clippers, uh, are you kidding me? Like one of the losingest franchises ever. He goes and instantly gets uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and their title favorites. They didn't live up to it last season. They're looking strong again this year. I'm going to do my power rankings probably tomorrow or the next, I don't know. I'll do them sometime soon. We've got Scott Warner tomorrow on the podcast. And so I might not do them tomorrow. Scott Warner again is friends with Ryan Smith. So it'll be interesting to talk with him about it. But, um, you just look at the impact that a Jerry West has had and Jerry West hasn't been the GM of all these teams. In fact, he's kind of just like an advisor or he's just part of the board or whatever. You know, they just find a title to give him a role. But it's just his impact. It's his presence. And he has a recruiting tool. And don't kid yourselves. Dwayne Wade will be a recruiting tool. He will absolutely be a recruiting tool. He's instantly changing that stigma that Utah isn't cool. Instantly. I want to be involved in the in the area, in the region, and with the team. This Ryan Smith is a mentor to me. Are you kidding me? All these players, they want their second act. They want their career post their NBA career. They want their professional career to be a successful one. Ryan Smith is a 42-year-old billionaire. He's hip and cool too. Dwayne Wade sees that and he's like, uh, I want to follow this guy. This is now like the youngest ownership group in the NBA. The Jazz, they're poised to do some big things. I think you see an NBA title in Utah within the next four seasons. I really do. I stand by that. And I'm excited to see how it unfolds. Uh, and the window of opportunity is now. Okay, last thing. Jake Paul fight. Well, two two quick things. We'll wrap up. Jake Paul knocked out Ben Askren in like the first minute and some, or I think it was minute 59 or something of the first round. I think it was right under two minutes. Knocks him out cold. The whole thing was kind of a joke, in my opinion. 
Uh, he does pack a powerful punch. I'm going to give him that. The footwork and defense, you know, self-defense, you know, kind of protecting yourself from both fighters was pretty amateur hour, pathetic in my opinion. The whole broadcast was kind of blah, um, kind of kind of cheesy and weird in my opinion. Um, Michael Buffer even introduced him as Ben Askew. I mean, Michael Buffer, dude, you have one job. Your job is, I mean, you're getting paid literally to just say, to introduce the fighters. That's it. And let's get ready to rumble or whatever he says. It's him and his brother, you know. It's time and let's get ready to rumble. They're like, that's their thing. They're getting paid all sorts of money to literally just introduce players or fighters. And he couldn't do it. He, he botched it. And one of my buddies I was watching the fight with instantly goes, I wonder if Jake Paul paid him to do that on purpose and mess him up mentally. Well, then the fight happens and it's so quick and so pathetic that I start, and you see all these people on Twitter just blowing up that the thing was rigged. And I started thinking, I wonder if the whole thing was rigged because Jake Paul is insecure enough that I could see him rigging this whole thing and paying mega bucks just to enhance his own image and to try and get a fight with a much bigger guy like a Conor McGregor who he's been calling out for a while. I could see him doing that. He's going to get bigger and better fights. And I wouldn't be surprised if he can win one more against a real fighter because Ben Askren is a fighter. He's an MMA guy who actually had a fantastic record in the UFC, but he's a wrestler. He's not a boxer at all. He's not known for boxing. It's one of his worst things in his MMA career was his boxing. He was a wrestler. He would take you down and he would win the match on the floor. Okay. So not exactly a, a, a boxer and this was a boxing match. So uh, you're going to see Jake Paul get bigger and bigger fights, but I, I would not put it past Jake Paul to have rigged this entire thing. Say, hey, look, Ben Askren, I'm going to give you the biggest payday of your entire life. Here's half a million bucks. That's what Ben Askren took home to get in the ring with Jake Paul for two minutes. Um, he was completely out of shape. He looked like a, like, I mean, he had the ultimate dad bod going on. He lived, did like zero training. Uh, Jake Paul got like 690K. This is what I found online. I'm sure there was more, but that was like the guaranteed salaries. Um, but I wouldn't put I wouldn't put it past Jake Paul to have rigged the whole thing from start to finish and say, look, Ben Askren, I'm gonna, we're going to even mispronounce your name. We're gonna I'm going to have Michael Buffer say Ben Askew. How does Michael Buffer mess that up? How does he mess that up? That's I mean, he has one job, and he's so good at it. Everybody wants to hire him. He had one job. Just say the guy's name, Ben Askren, and he says Ben Askew. Come on, Ben Askew. That didn't seem like a mistake. That seemed like it was on purpose to me. Then you have Ben Askew, Ben Askren. <laughs> going down in under two minutes, knocked out cold and gets up and is kind of wobbly, but like not really. They call the fight. There was talks that it shouldn't have been called so quickly, but it was. It makes Jake Paul look like this super ultimate tough guy. But I, the, the two minutes that I did watch him, he's moving around his footwork. It just He didn't look like a great fighter. He does pack a powerful punch, but he didn't look like a great fighter. His footwork looked awful to me. And I'm not a huge boxing guy or critic, but I've watched enough fights, especially among the greats, to know that he ain't that. So I wouldn't put it past Jake Paul to have rigged the whole thing. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out one day. I do think we're going to see Jake Paul get bigger and bigger fights. And so if he did pay this entire thing, money well spent because he's just going to go get millions and millions of dollars to fight bigger and better guys. And he's making a name for himself. So we'll see. Last thing. Alex Smith retired. He announced it today on his Instagram. This guy went through 17 surgeries. He was told he would never walk again, was told he might have to amputate, amputate his leg, was told he might die, and the guy came back after nearly two full years, played for my Washington football team, finished his career there, was truly the reason we won the division and made the playoffs. Um, he didn't play 
every game, but when he did play, we were much better. We were much better before he went out two years prior. Uh, the guy's a winner, had a fantastic career. He's got Utah ties, went to the University of Utah, led them to their first ever BCS berth before the college football playoffs, before they were in the Pac-12. They were the first ever BCS busters. That was because of Alex Smith. I still think that 4 Utah Utes football team is the best Utes football team in the history of the school. Led by Alex Smith, was a Heisman finalist, went number one overall on the draft, had a great NFL career, won tons of games, didn't win a, didn't, didn't win a Super Bowl, but won tons of games. Retires today, going to go spend time with his family, got a healthy leg. Kudos to Alex Smith on a great career. All right, guys, that's all the time we have for today. Tomorrow, we've got Scott Warner on the podcast talking more Utah Jazz. He's a big Lakers fan. going to talk about that. We will see you manana. Please hit the subscribe button. I am out. Peace. We got the Thanks for hanging with Simply the Best Sports Take. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and check out stbsportstake.com. Simply the best in sports. Yeah, the